Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Aren't you thankful for that amazing grace? I once was lost, but praise God, now I'm found. And uh, how good the Lord is to us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I started this series just last week. Great passages, or maybe I could have called it my favorite passages of the epistles. That's the letters written by men in the New Testament times that were prophets, and God spoke through them and inspired them to write. And uh, so great passages of the epistles. We talked a pretty good bit last week about Thessalonica itself. If you remember, that city was about 200,000 when Paul went there. That's uh, a little smaller than Winston-Salem, a little larger than High Point. So it was a big, it was the capital of Macedonia. Today, that, uh, that city is still there. Instead of, uh, uh, in, it's called, instead of Thessalonica, it is called Thessaloniki. Nike, just like the shoe on the end of the word. Thessalonica, Thessaloniki. And today, it's over 800,000 in that city. It's the second biggest city in the region. And uh, so that's bigger than Greensboro, Winston-Salem, and High Point all put together. So it's a big city now. And uh, there's not many ruins from the past because the city is built right on top of where the other city was. But this is the people who Paul wrote to. Uh, You remember the uh, Mount Olympus was a short distance. That was the major worship place of the gods. It's supposed to be where Zeus and other gods actually lived on that mountain. And uh, so there was all kinds of idol temples in that city and all types of immorality uh, when the gospel came. Remember we read last week in that chapter 1 that uh, when Paul speaks to them, He talks about their testimony, how they turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Amen? And it's a beautiful place uh, that God planted this church, a beautiful church. Well, with that said about the city, a little recap. We're going to look in chapter 5, and really today we're just going to look at one verse. Now... Starting in verse 11 of chapter 5, there are 19 imperatives. An imperative is a command. We're going to look at some of those. So look at verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together. Speak to our hearts now through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dr. Alexander Gregolia tells us about himself. He came from the Soviet Union to come to the U.S. for freedom. He had to learn English. He came, he learned English. Then he went to college. Then he went to postgraduate. He ended up earning three doctorate degrees. He was a very successful man. Uh, Did well financially. He was a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. But he writes, In spite of my achievements, there was a deep shadow in my heart, a misery 
something I could not remove. He was unhappy. He was miserable, even with all of his achievements. One day, he was getting his shoes shined. Now, you young people, you can't imagine that in your mind, but there used to be these chairs that people would sit in in public places and put their feet in, uh, in stirrups like, and the shoe shine person would shine their shoes for them while they were waiting on a train, while they were waiting to get their hair cut. It could be at a bus station. It could be at a plane uh, airport, plane station. Uh, or it could just be on the, on the street. If you're walking downtown, you'd just walk past one and say, Oh, I need to get my shoe shine. You'd sit down, and the shoe shine person would shine your shoes. So one day, he said he was getting his shoes shined, and he noticed that the man shining his shoes went about his work with, with intense joy, scrubbing, buffing, smiling, talking. So finally, Dr. Gregolia couldn't take it any longer, and he said in his Russian accent, why are you so happy? And the shoeshine man paused for a minute and, and replied, Jesus, it's Jesus. He died for me so that my sins could be forgiven. Jesus makes me happy. It frustrated the professor so much, he jerked his newspaper back up over his face to avoid looking at this man shining his shoes. Being miserable himself, though, he could not get away from those words. It was Jesus who makes me happy. Sometime later, that phrase, that testimony, that man shining his shoes led the professor to come to Christ as his Lord and Savior. He said, I finally found out what the, what the shoeshine man was talking about. I found joy and happiness in life for the first time. Later, he became a professor of anthropology at Wheaton College. He taught there a young man named Billy Graham. He writes, I found wisdom from the shoeshine man. End of quote. Joy. We talk about joy a lot, but according to statistics, not many people really have joy. So I want you to think about this with me today. The Lord says, Rejoice evermore. Rejoice all the time, every day. Regardless of circumstance, rejoice evermore, all the time. Now remember, there's 19 imperatives here. This is an imperative. An imperative is a command. You remember we talked about last week, usually in Paul's epistles, the first part of the book is, is, is mainly doctrinal, but the second part of the book is practical. It goes, the logic goes like this. This is what God has done for us because he has. This is the way we ought to live. This is, of course, the section that starts in chapter 4 about how we ought to live. 
And then we come to this last chapter, the last half, and we have these commands. Now, it's not a command like some people think of the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> some people view the Ten Commandments as... <clears throat> excuse me. If you follow them really, really well, you might make it to heaven. Some people view it that way. Even in the Old Testament, that was not the case. In the Old Testament, people were redeemed by grace, just like in the New Testament. Jesus died for them, just like he died for us. So these are commands that we're supposed to obey because we're saved, because we belong to Christ. And so the first one we're going to look at today it is what we're going to look at today is this number 16, verse 16. Look back to your screen for a moment. There are five Greek words translated rejoice in our English Bible. Five different words. You know, every now and then you, a preacher will point out that agape and phileo is two different words in the Greek, but they're translated by one word in our English Bible, love. Phileo being more of a brotherly family love and agape being more of a divine love, but they're translated love. So there's two words in the New Testament translated love. There's five words that are translated rejoice. Now, along with that, joy is a part, uh, uh, those same five words are used to translate joy. Joy is the noun, and rejoice is the verb, but they all come from those, these five words I'm going to share with you just quickly here. So the first, the first meaning of the word rejoice, that first Greek word, means to rejoice, to be made to rejoice by good news or God's blessing. So something happens that makes you rejoice. Our reference there is in uh, Revelation 12, 12. It's when Satan is cast out of heaven and a voice cries out and says of the earth to the earth, Rejoice! Because Satan has been cast out of heaven. So they were rejoicing over something that happened, a thing that happened. So to be made to rejoice. By the way, these words were used in secular Greek as well. So uh, even if we're not talking about rejoicing in the Lord, in the secular Greek of the day, somebody would use that same terminology. They was, received a gift or something and it made them rejoice. Kind of like this. If Harley gave you a $100 bill this morning, wouldn't that make you rejoice? Amen. So when you see Harley outside in the hallway, say, Harley, make me rejoice. So you receive. Now, when we're singing or worshiping or reading or something, every now and then we'll come across a truth we know so well, something about the blood or heaven or God's grace. And, and that truth in a song or in Scripture or in a book we're reading will cause us to rejoice, to be made to rejoice. The second word that's used means to rejoice with another in good news or in God's blessings. I tried to pick scriptures that you would know 
And by the way, the first, that first word is used 14 times in the New Testament. This word is used seven times in the New Testament. You remember the parables that Jesus told in Luke 15. He talked about a shepherd who went out looking for that one lost sheep. And when he came, comes back, he's rejoicing himself, but he says to his neighbors and friends, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. It means to rejoice with somebody else. In their blessing, let's don't be envious. I know I'm envious of Harley's hair, but, but let's not be envious when something good happens to other people. Let's rejoice with them. That's what the Bible teaches. Be happy for them. Rejoice with them. And uh, then the, the second is when the woman loses her coin, same situation, and she says to her friends and neighbors, Rejoice with me. So it's seven times to rejoice with. And then the third one is to rejoice greatly, exceedingly, to sing and to dance or skip and leap and to jump for joy. <laughs> this is a strong word. And uh, uh, you might see sometimes when people are worshiping, they lift their hands, they may even jump up and down. And, and, uh, and this is... Uh, ex exceeding joy and as you can see it's used 11 times in the in our Bible see if Harley gives you a hundred dollar bill you're gonna rejoice what if he gave you a suitcase full of hundred dollar bills then you're gonna do this word you're gonna rejoice greatly you're gonna jump up and down and, and uh, say thank you thank you thank you uh, and so this is to rejoice greatly. Now I added another scripture there, Luke 10, 21, where it says Jesus rejoiced with this word. But then it says Jesus rejoiced in spirit. He was not physically leaping or jumping. He was leaping and jumping in his heart, in his spirit. So you can have this intense joy at times, and, and it not come out in a physical way. Jesus was saying that because he said, he was praying, he said, Father, I thank you that you revealed, he talking about the gospel, he revealed the gospel and who Jesus is to babes and common folk instead of the rich and famous and the people who think they're great. Jesus, because of that truth, rejoiced greatly in his spirit. So then the, the fourth word, means to uh, boast or glory in the Lord, to brag on the Lord's goodness or blessings to you. Philippians 3, 3 says of believers, we are those who rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Man, we brag on Jesus, don't we? So that could be done from the pulpit. When, when Pastor Nick preaches... He, he, he's not mean-spirited or, or he's not fussing at everybody. He preaches the truth in love. And he is really good at bragging on Jesus. Amen? You can do that in a Sunday school setting too. But it doesn't have to be public speaking. You can do that at home. You can do it at school, in the workplace. You don't have to preach a message. You don't have to have all the answers. Just talk about how good God's been to you. That's you rejoicing 
in Christ. Tell how he's blessed your life. And so uh, we come to the fifth one then. You can see that one's used 38 times. This word means to rejoice in the sense of experiencing joy in the Lord. Now, I, I took all of these definitions from... Three different sources, uh, Vine's Dictionary of New Testament Words, Strong's Dictionary, and also Zodiotti's Dictionary. So sometimes what I put together kind of repeats itself because I took it from three different sources, and this, is, this one is that way. It's uh, to have joy in the Lord, a calm delight, a calm happiness, tranquility of soul or happiness. A calm cheerfulness that comes from walking in the presence of the Lord. Now that's the word we have in our text. Philippians 4.4 4 says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. He's saying there. Rejoice all the time. Always. In every circumstance. Rejoice. Be happy. Have joy in your heart. And then here, of course, rejoice evermore. And this is the word that's used the most in our English Bible. It's used 74 times. So God's commanding us to be happy. He's commanding us to have joy and to do it always. Wow. I don't know about you, but that, that blesses me. Now, not everybody's happy. USA Today ran an article that said 45% of the U.S. are unhappy. 45% are unhappy. Now, it asks other questions like, are you happy sometimes? Are you happy uh, a little bit of the time and so forth? And then they ask, are you very happy? Only 14% of Americans are very happy. I think that's probably the ones that found the joy of Jesus. Amen? But so many Christians don't have joy. And that's sad and tragic because it's a part of our inheritance. It's a part of our redemption here on earth that we can have joy. So the Lord wants us to have joy. And the U.S. Census Bureau said 42% of Americans are suffering from anxiety and depression. Now, not all of that is clinical depression that needs medication. The World Health Organization says the U.S. only has 5% of people who have clinical depression or anxiety that may need depression. Now, you've heard me say this before. I think sometimes people need medication, and your doctor knows best. Trust your doctor and research it yourself and ask a lot of questions. Let's say most everybody's right here in this middle area. The people who might need medication, they're down here maybe. But remember, there's only 5% in America. But these people are down here. If the doctor gives you some medication, that will bring you back up to this center section. <clears throat> but it just brings you back up to the average. The joy we're talking about is up here. So even if you take medication, you need the joy of Jesus. You need that happiness that only Christ can give. 
And so, not everybody is happy, not many. The word happy, by the way, happiness and joy, of course, are different things, but sometimes we distinguish them apart too much. Happiness means something has happened. It's right in the Word, you know. There's a happening that took place that causes you to be happy. It actually comes from an old antiquated word, hap, H-A-P, hap, which meant lucky. So happy in the secular sense means something good happened to you. You got lucky, and it makes you happy. But the joy of Jesus is regardless of circumstance. You don't need anything to happen. You don't need luck, of course. And uh, you just have Christ with you, walking with you, and he gives you his joy. And so, he commands us to be joyous. I've got to say these things quickly. By the way, last week I preached really long. I'm not going to ask how many of you, raise your hand if you noticed. <laughs> I'm afraid you'd hurt my feelings. But uh, somebody said to me afterwards, said, I kept waiting for you to say, the congregation is listening too slowly, and that's what's going on. I said, yeah, I thought about it while I was preaching, but I was so far behind I couldn't even say that. The word happy in the Bible appears 28 times. Karen and I were working in the inner city when we were in Bible college uh, 45 years ago. And uh, there was a man in charge of this group, but he was a student at the Bible college as well. And he was a very serious young man. And uh, he was in charge of this inner city ministry. So we'd gathered a bunch of kids together. We, had a, we'd, we were having fun and everything. And finally it came time for him to speak, and he got up and said something like this, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be obedient. Now, I agree with the second half of that, but I strongly disagree with the first half of that. He tells a group of kids, God doesn't care about their happiness, just their obedience. 28 times in the Bible, the word happy, our word happy is used. You see... Happiness and joy, you can be happy in the world's definition and not have joy. But you can't have joy without having happiness in the sense of an ongoing uh, uh, emotion, an ongoing attitude of calm delight and satisfaction in the Lord. And then the word blessed is used 496 times. Blessed, by the way, look at your screen for a moment. Here's the amplified, Matthew 5, 5, blessed. And then it defines the word blessed. Happy, blissome, joyous, spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of our outward circum or conditions, are the meek. The mild, patient, long-suffering, for they shall inherit the earth. Every time you see that word blessed or blessed in the Bible, it carries with it the idea of happiness. 400, 
and 96 times. Joy and rejoice, those two words together, 300, I mean 434 times in the New Testament. It's important to God that we be happy and have joy. I don't know about you, but that, that moves me to think that God wants me to be happy. Doesn't that kind of move you a little bit? Let's think about this. Uh, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand pleasures forevermore. Joy comes from the presence of the Lord in our lives. Now that's Old Testament. Here's a New Testament. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy might be full. Why does God care so much? Two quick thoughts. Why is it so important to the Lord that we be happy? One, because He loves us. Because He loves you. He, lo he created you for Himself. He knows your heartaches. He knows your disappointments. He knows your weaknesses and failures as well. Because He loves you, He wants you to be happy and joyous. If you're a parent, don't you want your children to be happy and joyous? He loves you with an everlasting love. The second reason is because he loves those around you. If you're a husband and you're miserable, that's going to affect your wife and children. If you're a husband and you're joyful, that's going to affect your wife and children, but in a positive way. He wants you to be joyous so you can touch those around you. It's important to him. But not only loved ones... What about the world in which we work? Um, the workplace, the schools. One of the greatest testimonies a Christian can render is a joyful life. A joyful life means that our Lord, whom we have trusted, is a good Lord. And He meets our needs. And I'm joyful. Listen to what M.R. DeHaan said. Joy during times of testing is the most powerful witness that a Christian can render. That's one of the reasons the Lord allows hard times to come. Difficulties, problems, troubles, pressures. So we can learn to trust Him. And have joy that the world can see in time of uh, testing. And then uh, Andrew Murray said, To the Christian, joy and happiness is not only a privilege, it's a duty. God commands it. A.W. Tozer said, The Christian owes it to the world to be supernaturally joyful. Wow. Supernaturally joyful. Yeah. It's a gift from Christ himself. He gives joy. Christ himself. That's why it is so important. 
Now I want to go back to the thought of love. Look at your screen again. Jesus said in John 15, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Now think about this. As much as the Father loves the Son, that's how much the Lord Jesus loves you. With all your failures and sins. He knows all that. He loves you. Wow. And then... The second part of this thought, verse 11. These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So here ties together the idea of his love for us and his desire for us to have joy. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to be happy. Let's, if nothing more than this, let's start towards joy today. Let's start a journey towards joy till you find it. Don't give up till you find it. I'm going to tell you how to find it. I close with this. My time's getting away. You're listening. Yeah, not, not real fast. I love this story that Tim Hansel tells in one of his books. He writes about a 82-year-old man who was a retired pastor. He pastored for 50 years. Now he's 82. His wife has died. And he has cancer, skin cancer. And he's had 15 surgeries. And those surgeries have... You can see where he had the surgeries on his face, some of them. So Tim writes, and he says this. Besides pain and suffering, he was embarrassed about how the cancer had scarred his appearance. So much so that he wouldn't go out. Then one day, he was given a book, You Gotta Keep Dancing, also written by Tim Hansel. And then he goes on to say, In that book, I tell of my long struggle with chronic intense pain from a near-fatal climbing accident. In the book, I told of a day when I realized that the pain would be with me forever. Tim telling this now. At that moment, I made a pivotal decision. I knew that it was up to me to choose how I was going to respond for the rest of my life. So I chose joy. Now, back to the 82-year-old. He's reading that book, you got to keep dancing. And so, Dr. Tim tells, after reading a while, the elderly pastor said, he put the book down, thinking about the author. He's crazy. I can't choose joy. And so he gave up on the idea. Some days later, he was reading his Bible, and he came across this passage right here, verse 11, where it says, Jesus will give us his joy, that our joy might be full. So, he writes, 
Jesus said, I want to give you my joy, that your joy might be complete. So he thought to himself, joy is a gift. Jesus gives it to people. So then he thought, and he said, I didn't know what to do. So I got down on my knees. Then he said, I didn't know what to say. So he says, I said, well then, Lord, give it to me. Now he writes, suddenly, an indescribable, incredible hunk of joy from heaven landed on me. And he says, it was overwhelming. It was like the joy talked about in Peter, joy unspeakable and full of glory. I didn't know what to do, so I said, turn it on, Lord, turn it on. He said, before I knew it, I was up jumping around, <laughs> jumping around the room and, and dancing and rejoicing. He said, I felt so joyful, it actually felt like I was born again, again. Of course, that's impossible. And this astounding change took place at age 82. So much joy can't be contained. Now, he, has, he was not leaving the house before this because of his scars. But he said so much joy couldn't be contained and cooped up, so he decided to go out to a local fast food restaurant, and he got a burger. And a lady noticed how happy he was. And she said, how you doing? And he said, I'm wonderful. And she said, is it your birthday? He said, oh, no, honey. It's better than that. She said, is it your anniversary? And he said, oh, no, it's better than that. And she said, well, what is it then? And he said, it's the joy of Jesus. He said to her, do you know what I'm talking about? And she said, no, and shook her head and said, I have to work on Sundays. <laughs> That's an interesting answer, isn't it? Chuck Swindoll, commenting on the story and her answer, said, Every time I read this story, I shake my head. What a ridiculous response. Then he goes on to say, There are two kinds of people. People who choose joy and people who don't. People who choose joy and pay no attention to what the day of the week is or how old they are or what level of pain they're in. They have deliberately chosen joy. And then he asked the question, which one are you? Two kinds of people. Which one are you? Here's a command. God commands us. Rejoice in the definition of that fifth word. Be happy, delighted, joyful. He commands us, rejoice in the Lord always, all the time. That's his word to us. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I wonder how many would say, preacher, I know I'm saved, but I need the joy of Jesus like you talked about. And I want you to pray for me. If that's your request today, would you slip your hands up all over the building? Yes. 
Hands are going up every section. Hands are up everywhere, all over the building. God bless you, everyone. You may put them down. Now, your experience may not be quite as dramatic as this 82-year-old man. And it's not a one-time thing. You've got to keep receiving that joy. If you stop receiving it, the joy stops. You've got to keep taking from Christ. You've got to keep trusting Christ for that joy every day through life. I wonder how many would say this, Preacher, I'm not saved. I've never trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and had my sins forgiven. If that's the case for you, would you raise your hand right now? No one's going to come to you or embarrass you. Would you just raise your hand? Let me pray for you. You've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm looking around the room. Hold it up long enough for me to see it. Anyone? Father, thank you for our time together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your joy in our lives. Life is tough sometimes. It's overwhelming and we get hurt. Teach us to trust you. 